This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. With summer coming up, I'm already dreading not only the traffic on the roads, but also the increased cost of groceries and the fact that my children eat all day long. You know, we all have stressors. Some are big and some are small, like an increased grocery bill. But therapy is a safe place to actually get these stressors off your chest and to figure out how you can actually work through them. There are many benefits to therapy for people from all walks of life. It's helpful to learn positive coping skills so you don't freak out about that grocery bill and how to set boundaries. Therapy can empower you to be the best version of yourself, and it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Moore today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Russell Moore. You're listening to The Russell Moore Show, and here at The Russell Moore Show, we bring you conversations to help you navigate Christian faith in confusing times. Over the last several weeks, conversations on the podcast have revolved around themes in Russell Moore's newest book, Losing Our Religion, An Altar Call for Evangelical America. It's a book that Publishers Weekly says will buoy disillusioned hearts and minds. Losing Our Religion is available wherever you buy your books. So if you're feeling disillusioned and looking for clear-eyed gospel hope, We hope you enjoy these conversations. And as a special treat, we wanted to release a specific Q&A. One of the things we love to do at The Russell Moore Show is take your listener questions. And on August 9th in Houston, Texas, The Russell Moore Show got to be hosted by Beth Moore and Living Proof Ministries at the Woodlands Methodist Church in Woodlands, Texas. So we wanted to bring you those live question and answers as one of our special Q&A episodes. Listen in to these thoughtful, fun, and funny conversations to help you navigate Christian faith in confusing times. I'm sure you'll find your hope buoyed. have a few questions that we are going to ask in person because one of the things that we love to do on the Russell Moore Show is take your listener questions. So tonight, as part of the live stream, we have 11 folks who are going to get to ask Russell and Beth their question. So this is Laura Wimberly from Spring, Texas. Hi, Laura. Hi. Um, With everything that you've been through, how do both of you or either of you guard yourselves against bitterness? You want to go first? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to just sound corny. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm telling you that this is, this is the truth. The Lord is too faithful if you'll stick it out with him. And I mean... In the day-to-day, it is a lot. 
but you have to look over the long haul. You have to look, this, we're on pilgrimage. We've got, this is a journey. So you can't just judge by the present feeling or even the present day. But what you will do is if you just stick it out with him, keep your you know, ears to the, to the page and your knees to the ground and that that's who you go to where it's that Jesus, Jesus himself, then you realize just over time okay, I'm still drawing breath. You'll realize, you know, you laughed really, really hard that day that it didn't bother you so much today. And it was that. It, I don't think it's a moment. I think it is just the journeying through uh, with the Lord. Yeah, and my, my problem is the opposite problem from bitterness. Uh, my tendency is to, is to move into nostalgia where I sort of uh, take all the bad parts out and kind of idealize all the good parts. So Maria will tell you a big issue is that I feel guilty for leaving where I left. And uh, I really love those people. And uh, honestly, you'd be surprised how much I defend <laughs> uh, uh, defend even even the people who were the most uh, coming against me, and it's not because I'm sanctified more. It's 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 the opposite. It's kind of this sense of it really is hard not to belong, and so I will convince myself that the bad things never happened. I thought about there was. There was a woman I saw who had written about, she was a recovering alcoholic, and she said she had a little sign on her mirror that said, it really was that bad. Yes. So that she wouldn't start to think, you know, it wasn't that bad. And Maria wants to put one of those on my mirror. <laughs> it really was I'm that bad. I'm with you on this, Maria. Yes. <laughs> this is Ashley Cook from Houston, Texas. Mine is much more trivial. Um, it's really hot, and so I'm starting to forget. What are your favorite things about Houston? <laughs> okay, air conditioning. <laughs> air conditioning. I'm going to tell you right now, because I do a lot of traveling, and I'm going to tell you, yes, yes, it's terribly hot here. But we do know how to use an air conditioner here. We travel all over the place, and they'll have a heat wave. We'll go speak somewhere, they have a heat wave, and they think you can turn the air conditioner on in the morning that the event starts at 8.30, and it's going to be cooled down by then. We know at Houston that you keep it at 70 24-7. So air conditioning is what I love. That's what I love. And I'm from Biloxi, Mississippi, so it just feels like Christmas Day. Yes. And Mexican food. You know I'm going to say that. We have the best food in the world in Houston, Texas. I will, I'll go to the wall on that. The best food in the world. Thank you, Ashley. Okay, this is Warren Robinson, also from Houston. Okay. Hi, thank you both for being here. Um, it seems like those that are under 40 are experiencing a real pandemic of loneliness. And it strikes me that the church hasn't quite figured out how to help address that. And why do you think that is? I haven't been close to 40 in years, so go for it. <laughs> I, I don't think it's just those who are under 40. As a matter of fact, in many cases, I think it's even more so for people who are at later stages of life. And the reason for that is because every year that goes by, it becomes harder and harder to maintain connections just because of 
busyness and those sorts of things, not even, not even factoring in all the social factors that are going on. And so you have to really work hard to maintain friendships and connections. And then you add to it this, this really bizarre time in our country where loneliness is everywhere. And so people try, a friend of mine calls tribalism um, community substitute for lonely narcissists is what tribalism is, he says. And oh, I say that again. It's a community substitute for lonely narcissists. And honestly, if you look at it, a lot of the people that you think this person is just mean and coming apart often is just a very lonely person. Oh, I agree with that. And I, I think part of the issue, even apart from all of that, is trying to find a way to connect because it, it's awkward to say, hey, I'd like to be your friend. Yes. Uh, that's a really awkward uh, thing. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I, I'm getting into my curmudgeonly crank self <laughs> right now, but it's one of the reasons why I do love Sunday school uh, as opposed to just substituting it with small group community groups. Those are great and fine, but they're great for people who like to get together and sit down and talk to each other. Uh, for a lot of other people, what they need is an excuse to commune. Uh, and they can study the Bible together or in the churches I've seen that actually maintain community the best, especially among men, churches that are doing disaster relief together or some way of serving where Mm -hmm. it's not that they're saying, okay, we're going to connect. It's that they have a reason to come together. And I think that's, that's one thing that we're missing. I'll only add one brief thing to that. And that is to realize that we are uh, in an epidemic of loneliness and to begin to put our friendships and relationships as priorities. In other words, instead of them being the last thing, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the thing that can always go, but that no, it doesn't. Like for instance, I don't know how often you guys meet, but you have a book club mm-hmm. of, of just guys that you- And it's like, just, it's like what I was talking about with Sunday school. The, the books are kind of the excuse we have to, to get together. Get together. But, uh, yeah. We really do talk about the books, but we, we talk about it a lot yeah. more. And I don't think that any of us would get together if we said- we really need to build community and friendship. Yes. <laughs> but that's what happened. Uh, and, and we would all, you know, lay down on the train tracks for each other. Yes. And I look forward to that uh, gathering together more. As a matter of fact, I'm missing it tonight. Oh, no. Uh, and, and it was, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. And I was like, oh, I wish I could split myself in two because yes. I really miss being there. But So I think... Yeah, you, you have to find those. You have to find those ways, and it can feel really awkward at first. Yeah. Thank um. you, Lauren. Okay, this is Charlton Wimberly, also from Spring. Just give me a second to see if I can raise this. Did you say uh, Charlton? Charlton. That's Good a evening. great name. Yeah. Thank you. What do you most appreciate about your SBC upbringings, and what do you most appreciate about the church families that you worship with mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can answer that off the top of my head. 
It was instilled in me from the time I was a little bitty girl to love missions, and I still love it. I, I could have quoted the Great Commission to you at the end of the Gospel of Matthew by the time I was four years old. Honest to goodness, I could have. And also, I was taught, because we did this in our, our girls' missions club that he was talking about on Wednesday nights, uh, we memorized scripture, and it, we had a, it was just something that was important to that, to that particular um, gathering each week. And it taught me to love to memorize. It, it gave, truly gave me a love for missions and a love for the scriptures. And I would not trade it for anything on earth. I'm so glad I'm getting the experience I am now because I wouldn't have wanted to miss it for anything, but I also would not trade off my heritage it was extremely important to me. A good friend of mine and I often say that we felt like in so many ways we got the best of it uh, because that was very deeply instilled. I'm imagining it's something similar. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, 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 it's, it would be hard for me to split myself apart enough to say what didn't come, not just from sort of the Southern Baptist uh, uh, community, but particularly Woolmarket Baptist Church taught me they didn't, I think they didn't know how to do children's ministry. And so it was, we'll just teach them the Bible. And my whole life was changed by that. Yes. Uh, and missions and the, the whole piece of it. And what I'm, what I'm really grateful about in the congregation I'm in right now, there's many, many reasons. But one of those reasons is the fact there are a lot of people in that congregation that have come out of maybe some bad or dysfunctional kind of church backgrounds. But nobody's, in a lot of those contexts, people are trying to always be on the lookout for whatever was bad there and to kind of constantly be looking back at what happened at the last church. It's not happening there. So it's a, it's a really sweet, warm community. And, you know, I, I was really at a point of getting cynical and I was there at my, con we have a, we're in a non-denominational congregation in, in Nashville and I was baptizing my son in a horse trough, mm. my son Jonah. And right as I was about to do that, I, I thought about Jesus saying, there will be no sign given to you but the sign of Jonah, which is as the son of man was in the, uh, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, the son of man will be in the, in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and that the people of Nineveh heard the word and repented. And I sat there and thought, the gospel is going forward, and I can see this right here in my own son. Yes. You know, that's a... Yes. Yeah, I think sometimes the Lord yes. brings those little moments yeah. to come in and say, it's such ingratitude to yeah. be cynical. As, as you're bringing up the next person, I'll, I'll say one of the things that will be so helpful to any of us is if, if we're gonna judge the state of things by social media, I mean, we're gonna wanna jump off of something. Yeah. But go small, like find a place to maybe volunteer in a, in, um, a shelter or see what people are doing that aren't on social media at all, that are just serving people, just helping people, just meet some needs. That really, you figure out that there are so many people that just genuinely love Jesus, just genuinely love him. This is Andrea Castillo. Amen. I just wanna say really quick, the way that you two have shown up in the last couple of years 
um, has made it possible for me to believe that I could keep my heart so tender to love Jesus and also pursue my faith intellectually as a woman um, and that I would have something valuable to contribute to the body of Christ. So thank you both for that. Bless you. Um, and speaking of intellectually, I, uh, what would you tell someone starting seminary, who's, I'm actually year two, uh, that is wanting to teach and staying for the long run? I'm going to let you do that. Well, I've got an echo right here, so I couldn't, I couldn't hear the question. What would you tell someone who is, in, who is starting seminary? And wanting to just stay in for the, you know, keep your faith yeah. for the what, long run. What would you say will sustain you in the sustain you in the long run as somebody who is going to survive seminary and also survive ministry? Well, you know what I think, and and this is, you know, I served in seminary education for a long time, and I I really believe the most important parts of seminary are not happening in the classroom. Mm. The, the most important things are, are happening, whether you're in seminary or at a church-based program or wherever it is that you're being trained, is to find those people there that can be with you for the rest of your life. And a lot of what the Lord does in those formative years, it happens over conversations around coffee or walking to chapel together or those sorts of things. And so you can be... Um, you can, I was in my Master of Divinity years, I was serving a church full time, an hour away. I was driving in, swooping in, doing my work, swooping back out, trying to get back to the church. I even one time was getting gas and I was in such a hurry, I forgot to take the gas pump out and I ripped it uh, out. It was a whole big scene uh, at the gas station, but I did that. My PhD years, though, I was in a really close-knit uh, community of people that we, we were all in the seminary village together and are still in contact with each other literally every day, uh, all through the day. So find those connections, I would say, is the most important thing. Uh, Sharon Hottie Miller just said last weekend, I, she was asked a similar question. She said, keep in mind that the greater purpose of seminary a greater purpose than education is formation. And I thought that was really profound. I've, I've not been, but I thought I would pass that on because I thought that was a really good thing that she shared. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, our next question is from Christian Rose from Spring. Hey, Christian. Yeah, hi there, thanks for being here. Uh, my question was, uh, for those of us who are thinking about the future of the evangelical church in America, uh, in addition to your own books, what three books would you recommend for folks thinking about that question? Well, I think that the work of John Stott is still really important um, for, uh, for the, the life of the church going forward. And someone else is a man by the name of John Perkins, who's a fellow uh, Mississippian, uh, who endured a lot to stand up for the truths of Galatians and Ephesians and Revelation and the rest of the New Testament. And his work, I think, um, yeah, there, uh, I think going back to our 90s CCM, I think it was Switchfoot did a song uh, that said, John Perkins had it right, love is the final fight. Mm. And he really speaks to that, I think. Those would be two of the people I would recommend. 
God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, next up, we have Marianne Kiefer from Houston. Hi, it's good to have you. Thank you so much. Um, so this is regarding technology and news. Um, Russell, in your book, you reference Neil Postman's illiterate phrase. Um, he also talks about politics in the public sphere in the past as lengthy public debates um, prior to modern technology, Abraham Lincoln lecturing for hours. Um, how do our current news forms contribute to our current situation? And how can we as believers be knowledgeable about our country and cities while holding at bay the effects of the medium in which it comes? And then also as a second caveat, how much time is faithful to spend on news versus conversing with our neighbors, serving those in need, etc.? Uh, well, the second part of the question I would say would differ from person to person. Because what you have to know is, are you the kind of person who tends more to kind of shut down and disengage and la, 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 don't want to think about what's going on? Or are you the kind of person who gets enlivened and um, angered or fearful or whatever by what's going on and to calibrate for that? The part of the problem is right now, unlike any other era in the history of the world, we have immediate access to things that are happening all over the place. Uh, So you have this immediate sort of onrush, and then you add to it, you can tailor your news consumption in such a way that you can narrow it down and narrow it down and narrow it down until you're only consuming those news sources that are sort of, um, and I thought about, I had a, a, dealing with a a situation where a pastor was talking to me about a church member whose marriage was breaking up because he had, the husband had fallen in love with the chat bot, Uh, this replica chat bot. And and the pastor said, now you realize this program is really just repeating back what you're giving it. So you're really kind of falling in love with yourself. And sort of the echo of your own voice. Well, that's an extreme case, but it's really easy to do that when it comes to news consumption. And so if you don't kind of say, I'm going to, I'm going to have a variety of different news sources and I'm going to go out of my way to see those things, then you get mixed up, skewed. Okay, this is Ross Wellman. Hey, Ross. From Lufkin, Texas. Thank you for driving in, <laughs> From Ross. the crowd. There's an awe, ooh and awe. 
Well, I'm originally from Kentucky and was one of your uh, students while you were dean there, but I wonder what advice you would give for pastors leading what I'll call Trump enthusiastic congregations as we read. Uh, for pastors who are leading Trump enthusiastic oh, congregations. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> kind of like asking the murdered guy, how do you deal with crime? I'm not sure I'm the best one to answer that. Uh, but, uh, but seriously, what, what I would say is, uh, I say this to, to pastors all the time. And when somebody, the problem is a lot of pastors think that, they've done something wrong because they're in a situation, even pastors who have worked really hard not to get distracted into other things, you're in a context right now where even if you don't speak to something and sometimes even more so, it's that you didn't. And if you do, it's that you didn't do it quickly enough. And if you do it quickly enough, it's that you didn't do it with the requisite anger or passion. You know, so you have all of those pressures coming on pastors. And a lot of pastors feel like, what have I done to cause this? I mean, I, I was talking to a really amazing, impressive pastor who sort of is a figure that tons of people look up to, who said that he started going to the grocery store in a hoodie that he could pull up because he was afraid he was going to run into people who were going to scream at him. Um, and I know that feeling. I mean, Maria and I were in the grocery store maybe a month ago, and I saw across the way this uh, couple that um, we had known uh, 15 years ago, loved, I hadn't seen them in a long time, and I thought, yeah, but I don't know if they hate me right. now. Uh, so you, you don't really want to put them in that awkward situation of... Uh, so that is just the case for everybody. And I would say, stay at your post, faithfully do what you're doing and recognize you just happen to be serving in a crazy time, but the Holy Spirit knows how to work in crazy yes, times. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And has done that before. Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have Alyssa Melton from College Station. Is it Melissa? Alyssa. 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 Thank yes. you for coming, Alyssa. So this is a little bit lighter. I was curious what your favorite thing is about your current life season. We've heard a lot about your past, oh. and I would love to know what you are loving about today. Well, I'll answer briefly in that when we began to look for a church family, um, and was like, where do we go and what do we do? Because we would find that it was still such a time of controversy that I, people would have a reaction to us if we were in our same tradition. Now, of course, Christianity, and of course, you know, Bible-believing, gospel-believing, gospel-preaching um, Christianity, but we found that in our same tradition that we were too loaded. And it might be that they were either happy or unhappy that we were there, but it just too loaded. And so we did something really different and went to uh, a liturgical church that honors, you know, just honors the things that we find to be so important. And again, I, I, I don't 
wish that it was all I had known, but I, I just constantly want to look around at people and go, isn't this fabulous? Because I just, even just to go to the altar and, and take um, the bread and, and the wine, and we actually have real wine at our church, and <laughs> that, that has been a real mind bender. And so it just, it's just a beautiful thing to learn. I love to learn and I'm in such a, a, a learning curve right now and, and I'm just blessed by it. I'm just blessed by saying the Nicene Creed. I'm sorry, I'm corny, but I, I just love it. I just love it. In one of my heresy trials, one of the things that was brought up is that I had said that I did not think that drinking wine was a sin. Oh. Uh, and that did not go over no, well with this particular person. No. Uh-uh. And I no. said, so what, what you're telling me is if I'll just say that Donald Trump is a Christian and Jesus Christ is not, we'd be perfectly good here. And I just can't do that. Uh, and so wine has been, uh, yeah, that's oh, our, coming is, out of our tradition. It's a, it yeah. is a rocky thing. It's a it rocky, is a rocky, rocky thing. thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And I, I would say in my situation, it is, uh, I get to work with an amazing group of people at Christianity Today really gifted from multiple different sorts of denominational and church backgrounds uh, and all over the world and serving the same cause. And that's, that's really exciting and invigorating yes. to me. Yeah. Okay, next up we have Tom Lambrecht from Spring. Hey, Tom. Thanks. So thank you so much for being here. I have great respect for both of you. And um, I actually attend this church, so we're thrilled to have you as our guest. Thank you, Tom. And uh, great to have you. So my question has to do with um, how we effectively as the church engage with our culture today. How can we do that more effectively? Or do we take the Benedict option and withdraw and create community on the side? What's your approach? Well, you're talking about missions freaks here, so that's like, (gasps) what? Because, you know, we have to stay out. Um, So that, to me, is is not it. But one of the things that I look, this is going to sound silly, but I look for common ground. I'm looking for a half an inch, a half an inch. And not, not just to share the gospel, but to build friendships and relationships. I've had some people online that have just been so hateful. And so every now and then I just have the courage to say, do you like dogs? Because I'm looking for something. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Something that we have. And you would not believe how many relationships I have built that just hang in there with all the things that I'm going to say this morning. I read this in Numbers 13 and 14. They'll just hang with it because we found that we had this one thing this one thing that we both like, maybe it's, it is baking bread. I, but I think that, I, I think it's important. It is exactly what I was talking about with, um, with Johnny Cash. All of a sudden I thought, okay, this is, these are multidimensional people. This, the, these are real life humans that have, that have all sorts of, uh, of texture and color to them. So. Rings of fire. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. What about you? I, I would say one of the main things is recognizing how people actually do change their minds. 
And that's one of the reasons why, you know, there are a lot of, I'm around a lot of secular uh, people all the time who think that evangelism is an arrogant, hostile sort of an act. And what I have to say is what you don't understand is the churches that actually are teaching and training people to do one-on-one personal evangelism are the very places that are actually connecting with their neighbors. Because you can't be on a mission to share the gospel with somebody and caricature them and hate them at the same time. And so those churches, and so I, but, but in doing, and also in doing that in being prepared to do evangelism, you, you are reminded of how people change and are persuaded. And it's almost never at the end of a 20 minute argument where somebody says, you're right. I surrender. I'm, uh, that, that almost never happens. It certainly doesn't happen at the end of a social media screed. Instead, what happens, you think about the ways that you've changed your own mind. I can think about so many uh, ways that I've changed my mind over the years, and it didn't happen suddenly. It happened because I'm thinking about something, and it just sort of is in there, sometimes for a long, long time, and then maybe there's some sort of a crisis that comes along, and you start to rethink something. That's how people change. Yes. And so if if you... don't, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I am really alarmed about spiritual warfare language being secularized the way that it is. A lot of times you'll notice when people are saying spiritual warfare, what they're really meaning is culture war. No, it's true. Uh, when, which is actually yes. the opposite of what spiritual warfare really is. We do not wrestle against flesh and right. blood, but against right. principalities and powers of the heavenly places. And so if you substitute people for demons, you end up demonizing people. Yes. And if you think about uh, what we know about demons for scripture, from Scripture, they're not redeemable. And we start to see our neighbors as being irredeemable. That's it. And when we, when we have that change of mindset, I think those are the churches that are actually able to engage with their so communities. Good. So good. Thank you. I love the portion of the book where you talk about that with spiritual warfare. It's a very, very important thing to see how it's being used. And it's not only unbiblical, it's dangerous. And so I wanna encourage you guys because there's a chapter where you go with that very, very strongly. Um, I love it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. This is Nicole Mason from Houston. Hey, Nicole, thank you for your patience. Hello, big finish, okay. Uh, what is giving you the most hope and the most joy when you think about the future of the church? Oh, I think I'm, I'm not down about it. And I know you're not down either because Jesus is faithful and he is going to build his church and he is going to purify his church. He's going to do his job. Um, of that, I am certain. And so I think also we've been forced into a crisis. What you were saying a moment ago, I wanna build on a second when you talk about changing your mind. Um, we are in a time when our sides were going like, I'm right and you're wrong. And I, we're, when it comes to our faith as people of faith in Christ, we're, we're missing the point. We're missing that, no, we've all been wrong in one way or another. That these are days that we're being called to the true meaning of repentance, which is where is it we, we lost 
hold of the, the gospel of the gospels. You understand what I'm saying? And that, that, that what, what is it that we became power hungry, that this is what the American gospel turned into, largely speaking. I'm not talking about across the board, but it became power instead of humility, instead of service, uh, became very much about us instead of, no, we were meant to prefer others. And so I think that is uh, critical. And I think people are having that crisis. And that's a beautiful thing. I think that the Lord is at work and he will have his way. Yeah, I agree. I have a friend uh, from England who texted me the other day. He was in Turkey uh, and he said, we had 14 people come to faith in Christ and were baptized today. He said, back home in England and churches that have been established and rooted there for a thousand years sometimes, if you had 14 people in a year who came to faith in Christ, it would seem like a, a third great awakening and there are 14 today. And that's happening in China, that's happening in Saudi Arabia, that's happening in Cuba, that's happening in Iran. The gospel is continuing to go forward and, and to move. And I see all of that working in, I was reading several years ago, there was a, he was a Catholic guy, but he was talking about people who say, is there a future for the church? He said, if you think about, if the church is the body of Christ, then when you're asking that question, what you're really asking is, is there a future for Christ? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and is feeling fine. Yes. And the gospel yes. is continuing to go. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. We have enjoyed you guys. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I wanna to thank our online audience for just hanging in with us this evening and for being part of it. And um, we are just so hoping something has been encouraging to you. I, I hope, I wonder if you would thank my guest with me, Dr. Russell Moore. We're so grateful. We're so grateful. Uh, I'm so grateful to you and to uh, Living Proof team. Uh, to Woodlands Methodist Church. It's just uh, really encouraging. To really be been, it's been so fun. I got to tell um, my granddaughter, Annabeth, when she knew, I said, there are a couple of ministry things I want you to do uh, with me. And she said, that's, that's great. And I was sorry about it. And she said, tell, she said, tell me who uh, Dr. Moore is. And I just loved it because I was able to look at her and I said, you know what? He is a hero to many of us. And um, you truly have been, you truly have been, and my friend. So I thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Russell Moore Show. And once again, a hearty thanks to the Woodlands Methodist Church and Living Proof Ministries for hosting the Russell Moore team in Houston, Texas. And if you would like to submit one of your questions to be answered on the podcast, email us at questions at russellmore.com. That's questions at russellmore.com for a chance for your question to be asked and answered on air. Thanks again. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. 
Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore, produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers are Abby Perry and Azare Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Audio engineering provided by Dan Phelps. Video producer is Abby Egan. And the theme song for The Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.